Good morning. How you doing today? Good, good. You know, it's hard to believe, but from the very beginning of time, God desired a relationship with you and with me. You see, he set up Adam and Eve quite well. They enjoyed his fellowship. They enjoyed just spending time with God and doing the task that God had given them. Well, that is until the serpent, the snake. The snake convinced Adam and Eve that, well, God's way just wasn't the best. Herein is the struggle. It's our struggle. Do we listen to the creator king or do we live our lives our way? Adam and Eve chose the latter. The scriptures record that things went south quickly after the first couple left the garden. Evil gathered momentum until God just plain had enough. He sent a flood. And after the flood and the waters receded, he gave man a brand new chance, a fresh start. Abraham was born 400 years after this flood. Terah was his dad, and he lived in Ur of Chaldees. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for the great opportunity we have to open your word. Lord, you've given us a glimpse of what pleases you. You've helped us understand why certain men and women just delight your heart. Abraham is one of those. We would love to be able to learn from him today. We want to hear from you. We want you to change our hearts. We want you, Father, to be pleased. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, this summer at the chapel, we're traveling through Hebrews chapter 11, where we really find a boatload of heroes. We're learning that God smiles on ordinary men and women who have faith in him. Faith is a big deal to God. In fact, we find out in Hebrews 11, verse 6, that it is absolutely impossible to please God without faith. You'll also notice that if you spend time in Hebrews, the author seems to use the words faith and obedience interchangeably. Simply put, God's heroes are those who trust and obey God in spite of their own logic and in spite of their circumstances. Faith is not about believing in God. Faith is believing God. People who walk with God can trust their dad. People who walk with God listen to his whisper and listen to his warnings and listen to his gentle voice in the midst of a very chaotic life. Today we're going to focus on Abraham, a man whose faith defined him, not his failures. He trusted God for life's big decisions, life's daily decisions, and for his future. Let's read. If you would turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start at verse 8. And read through verse 10. 
It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You see, Abraham trusted God for life's big decisions. If we go back to the scripture in verse 8, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. You know, we need to go back to Genesis in order to get the context here. So if you would, turn your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis, first book in the Bible, just a few pages in. Go to chapter 11. And we're going to start there in a moment. But Terah, Abraham's dad, was about 100 years old when he began his trek to Canaan. Now this may be a little bit hard to see, but, but the truth is I wanted to see what actually was happening with this family. They started off far to the lower right, went up, and then came back down to the left, a very actually long trip, which we're going to talk about. But Terah... He decided at a certain time in his life, as I said, about a hundred, that he would take Abraham and Sarah and Lot, his brother's son, and to take this trip. And so in chapter 11, starting about verse 31, he was headed for the land of Canaan when they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while he still was in Haran. Now, we don't have a whole lot more than that on Haran. Um, and we don't understand that culture. We don't understand a lot about Terah at this moment. We don't get a whole lot. But in chapter 12, it becomes really clear what God tells Abram. But I want to just sit back just a little bit and kind of focus on Abraham's dad. Because it still was going to be really unusual that you would take your family and all of a sudden leave to a land that was almost 900 miles away. It was very odd. And the scriptures say that he traveled for a bit, came to this spot in Haran, and he stopped and settled and literally died. My question is, why would you do that? Why would you start a journey... Why would you get to this spot? Now, maybe Heron that time was beautiful. Maybe it was a great climate. Maybe there was lots of produce. But I think maybe it was a different reason. I think it basically was that Yahweh wasn't that important to Terah. I think Abraham's going to have the same challenge in, in just the next few verses. But for some reason, we know, and Joshua tells this right before the land, uh, right before the children of Israel enter, um, right before Joshua literally dies, he's giving a history in Joshua chapter 24. And he talks about Terah, 
And he said this. He said, Ter was a man that worshipped many gods. So I think really that Terah had the same instruction that Abraham had. But I think there are so many other competing gods. There were so many other voices. There are so many other things that he had enough courage to take off and to make it about halfway. But he stopped. He didn't listen all the way. You see, partial obedience is really disobedience, and disobedience cheats us out of life or living all the time. I think it's sad to see that Terah settled. But Abraham was not Terah. He heard and he obeyed God. Look at chapter 12. We're going to start reading at verse 1. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All of the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Aaron, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abraham traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah, and at that time the area was inhabited by Canaanites. See, God talked to him at age 75. Now, again, we just have to put a few of these things in perspective. Before the flood, man and woman lived a whole lot longer. After the flood, though, the normal lifespan, at least in these beginning stages, was between 150 and about 200 years old, which is way past you know, what any of us are hopefully going to make, you know. But at 75, it probably was about halfway through his life. He probably was at the prime of his life at this moment. And this is when God came to him and said, hey, I want you to move. I want you to leave for Canaan and trust me. Well, Abraham left home and went to a foreign land. Well, he heard God's promises. But if he's honest... I'm going to make you into a great nation. Well, how's that going to happen, God? Okay, I can listen to you. I can move to Canaan. But, but actually, how is, is that going to work? I'm 75. I don't have a kid yet, you know. I've been married for a while. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work out. He said, I'm going to bless you and make you famous. Well, really, God, how, how's that going to look? What, is, what does that look like? To me. And I will make you a blessing to others. All the families on the earth will be blessed. Well, God, I just don't even know how you're going to do that. I mean, I understand what you're telling me, but this is kind of crazy. I don't get it. See, one of the things we have to understand is that leaving a family back then was nothing like leaving or moving today. Because really, leaving a family or a clan was everything. It was their community. It was their resources. It was their safety. 
There were these clans or tribes that would be roaming around the country. And, and this is where you got your food. You got your sustenance. You, you got life. And for Abraham to literally hear from God, hey, I want you to leave all of that. And I want you to go to this land called Canaan. It was revolutionary. In fact, God's way is often inconvenient and uncomfortable. It doesn't mean it's not an adventure. It doesn't mean that Abraham did not experience God. It just means it's just really odd and out of the norm. It's different than what most of the culture would be doing. You see, settling in Canaan also was a dangerous situation and involved risk, a whole lot of risk. You'll find out that that section in Canaan or Israel all the way through history has been a sought-after land. It's been unbelievably good trade routes. And, well, people wouldn't just hand over valuable property. So although Abraham heard God, and although Abraham started walking, although Abraham heard these promises, not all of them had made sense at this moment. You see, God promises us his presence, not his comfort. We all know what happens when a parent focuses on a child's comfort rather than his character. You know, the truth is, is that God is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He is all-wise. He is the perfect parent. And he knows when to send us, where to send us, how to send us, so that we keep looking up to our dad, keep looking to him for strength and perspective and wisdom. Because if we don't get it from him, we start a tailspin downward. You see, Abraham's faith meant he went without knowing where he was going. How many of us would actually even do that today? It's just like, you expect your kids to do that, right? I mean, that's it. You know, I don't know when we're going to get there. We're going to get there sometime. I'm just, just follow, just listen to me. It'll be okay. But we as adults, whoa, we don't work that way. We love control. And so here's a battle. If we're going to really trust God and when he to respond and to act and obey when he tells us to. But in our heads, we think we're smarter and we know more and we, God just doesn't understand all the situations or the circumstances. Well, there's a little bit of a tug of war here. The truth is every one of us want a map. But God says, I want to give you a compass. All right. Or I want to give you a GPS. Or I want to give you Siri. All right? And when you poke in an address and it tells you where to go, and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I think I know a better way. And all of a sudden you hear your phone recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. What God literally wants us to do is to be able to hold the compass out. And when he says, I want you to go 160 degrees and I want you to keep walking, then we need to do that. You know, I have an exercise that I used to do with leadership. Uh, Sometimes it was high school leadership. Sometimes it was our elders. But we would usually do this up at Silver Birch Ranch. And I would have this gigantic 
well, uh, Nicolay National Forest to work with. And I would go and pick out certain spots. And the whole idea was this. Leaders, especially elders, this was especially uh, wonderful working with elders that didn't want to trust you all the time. But I said, here, this is what I want you to do. This is an exercise we're going to do it in the morning. I'm going to blindfold you. We're going to get in my truck. We're going to drive you out to a certain spot in the woods. I'm going to take your blindfold off. I'm going to give you a compass, and I'm going to tell you what direction to go. <laughs> uh, out in the woods. Yeah. Well, Rick, can I trust you? I don't know. I don't. Well, can someone walk with me? No. You're a big boy. You can do this. And so I would take everybody and drop them off and make sure we were out of, you know, ears, you know, out of hearing each other, whatever. They take their blindfolds off. And I said, hey, tell you what, lunch is in two hours. If you get back, we'll enjoy it. You know, that was my words. I'd leave. Drive to the next spot. Now, again, I want you to know that actually it was a very safe exercise, so you don't think I'm too much of a jerk, all right? It was, I mean, even if they veered a little bit or whatever, there were two giant lakes that they were going to run into, and eventually they would get back to the place that they, were ought to, or that they would need to get back. But here's the deal. When you do some orienteering, you look at your compass. You look ahead. You find a spot. I don't know, as far as you want to go. And you say, okay, I'm going to walk to that spot and look at my compass again. Now, if there's a bog in the way, and sometimes, you know, there's some ornery leaders, and I would give them the very special spots to walk through, <laughs> all right, and get to hear all of their moaning for a while. But the truth is this, is that what would happen is, is that people would look, and, and there was some kind of variety that you could get to, but you had to get to that tree. And once you got to the tree, you look at your compass again. And you kept moving in that direction. And you know, when we got back, I would just ask, hey, how does it feel? Oh, Rick, I didn't really like depending on the compass. I'd like to know where I'm going. Oh, really? Okay. Why do you think we did this exercise? Well, I think it's because um, we're supposed to listen to God like this. Great job, guys. This is terrific. All right? We love roadmaps. But God says, I don't do roadmaps. I do compasses. And I want you to listen to me. And, and God's word is an amazing compass for us as we learn it and read it and study it. And it gives us principles and gives us opportunities and gives us direction. Abraham trusted God with the big decisions. He didn't have everything worked out, all right, but God told him to move, and he moved. God loved his faith. And then Abraham trusted God with life's daily choices. If you go back to Hebrews, keep your, keep your thumb or finger in Genesis. We're, we're going to be coming back there. But in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 9. And even when he reached the land, God promised him he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. You see, listening and obeying God while living like 
a foreigner. Well, maybe a better translation would be resident alien. How do you live listening to God as a resident alien? What does that look like? How do we do that today? Well, one thing happens, at least in Adam's case, uh, Abraham's case, is that there was constant communication with God. What do I do next? How do I do this? God, this is a scary land. God, I'm not so sure these, this people group is something that's going to be really positive. How do I do this? Well, it tells us in chapter 12, just a little bit later, that there was a famine. And God said, I want you to move to Egypt. Okay, well, I moved here. I guess I can go to Egypt. Not a problem. And he starts moving to Egypt. But here's where I said, at least on the screen, that Abraham trusted God with his daily choices mostly, mostly. Because although he went down to Egypt, he had this great plan. And he looked around and he knew when he traveled through these different territories that there'd be clans and there'd be different tribes. And, and well, back then it's kind of like, hey, if you saw something, you kind of just took it, you know? If not, you chopped up people, you destroy it. You know, it just wasn't the safest environment. And he had a very beautiful wife, an attractive wife. Even at 65, his wife was a babe, okay? And so he had this plan. <laughs> he just basically said this. He says, hey, honey, <laughs> when we kind of go through this territory, and if one of these uh, like uh, clan chiefs kind of give you the eye, why don't we just say you're my sister? I think that would be a lot better because if he finds out... <laughs> You know, we're married, my head's off, and we're done, and so on and so forth. Well, I think he forgot a little bit about trust in the God thing. I get that. Kind of went into this culture and said, hey, I'm going to help you out, God. <laughs> She's my sister. I'm not sure why he did it. I'm not sure why he wavered, but he did. He did at this time. Then we come, and you can read through Genesis, but Go to Genesis 15 with me. I think this is one of the most critical chapters in the whole of the Bible. And we're not going to spend a lot of time, but I want to give you just a little bit of an of a understanding here. First of all, in Genesis 15, um, the scripture just says sometime later. It was probably about eight years after he had gone to Egypt. He's now back in Canaan. But this is what happens. Sometime later, probably eight years. God spoke to Abraham in a vision and said to him, don't be afraid, Abraham. Well, I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abraham replied, oh, sovereign Lord, what good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so no one except my servant will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, no, no, I told you this before. That was, I just put that one in. Um, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your own heir. Then the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham believed God right here. And the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
Hey, it's kind of normal. Eight years, again, he started this trek at 75. Again, my math isn't the greatest, but somewhere in the area of 83, 84, still no kids. So God gives him a vision. He kind of says, hey, God, what's the deal here? I don't even have a son. I'm going to have to use one of my servants, and he's going to be really the one who's the heir. And God says, no, 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 no. Let me remind you again. No, you're going to have a son. Look at the stars. Abraham believed. Okay, I can do this, God. I can believe. But it didn't last long. <laughs> Look at verse 8. But Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, O king of kings, unbelievable. God, how can I be sure that I'm actually going to possess the land? You promised I was going to possess a land. You promised that this was coming to me. And the Lord, it is so odd. Now look how he answers. He doesn't say, hey, I told you this already. This is what he says. And this is going to grow some of you out. And so if you want to not listen and um, text somebody at this moment, you can do that or whatever. But here it is. The Lord said... Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abraham presented all these to him, and he killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham, or Abram chased them away. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed for slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not warrant their destruction. Now look at verse 17. After the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abraham saw a smoking pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that day. Whoa. So Abraham has a question. He says, God, am I really going to get the land? Are you really going to promise? And God just says, hey, get these animals and cut them in half. Oh, that would gross us all out. But if you could picture this, I want you to know something. Abraham knew exactly what was going on. For back in this day and back in this um, time period, uh, covenants were cut differently than they are today. If someone has a covenant or a promise today, most of the time you would sign your name. It would be a signature, all right? Uh, if you sell something, you buy something, you marry someone, you sign the name and your signature stands as a promise that you will do this. Every time you run your credit card and you sign on the dotted line, you're saying, because I signed my name, I promise I'm going to pay $2.39, which I just spent. All right, that's your promise. Well, we all know that that way in our culture is acceptable, but it's not, well, that powerful. Let me tell you how they did it back in Abraham's day. 
What they would do if they would make a promise to one another, a covenant with one another. They would cut these animals literally in half and put them on each side. Then each person who was part of the covenant saying, hey, I'm going to sell this property to you and you will be able to own this property. You would hold their hand and you would walk through the two halves of all these animals like this. At the end of that, the covenant was cut. Now, what you literally were saying was this. If I don't live up to my end of the bargain, may I end up like these animals. Dude, there was a lot less breaking of covenants back then. I'm just letting you know, okay? It just didn't happen. But here's what's so cool. And this is this merciful, unbelievable God that each one of us can call dad if we come to him in faith. This is what happens. A smoking pot and a flaming torch went through the middle of this. These same words are the words describing God when he was on the top of Mount Sinai. It's the same word describing God when he was the pillar of God's presence. What God was saying to Abraham was unbelievably big. He's saying this, I'm not even going to take your hand. I'm not even going to depend on you. I'm not going to hold your hand at all. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I keep this promise, not dependent on you at all. And I walk through these carcasses, and I want you to know at the end, I am putting my name, my reputation, who I am on the line. Oh, my word. Do you understand what God was saying? He's saying, I just said you're going to have the land. And I guarantee it that when I say it, it's going to happen. Well, you know, just very quickly, um, faith again flutters about 86. He's about 84, 85 at this time, and, and this kind of encouragement helps him. But about 86, he's going, I still don't have an heir. We got to do something about this. And in Genesis chapter 16, Sarai comes to him at this moment and says, hey, you know what? I'm not so sure God has this whole thing worked out. Maybe we can help God again. Why don't I give you my handmaiden Hagar and you can sleep with her and we can have an heir through her. Well, most of you know the story. It happens. And Ishmael was born. An unbelievable mess from that time all the way on. Because he was doubting God a little bit and not listening. Then in Genesis 17, God meets with him again. It's just a little bit later. And he says, Abraham, I'm gonna change, or Abram, I'm gonna change your name to Abraham. And the name Abraham means father of many nations. Well, the scripture tells us this in Genesis 17, 17, that when Abraham heard this. He laughed. He snickered. And he says, God, I'm, I'm like 86 now. Are you kidding me? You're still going to stick with this. I'm going to have my own 
son stuff. And then God talked to him and he literally corrected God. He said, yes, I, I understand. <laughs> I'm going to have my son. <laughs> and I'm sure Ishmael is going to be the one who's going to be. And God gets all upset again and says, no, don't you understand? It's not Ishmael. I am an amazing God and I'm not dependent on anything on your behalf. Well, but God is gracious anyway. In Genesis 18, it is so cool, and you can read this story on your own. But Sarah and Abraham are are sitting there around their campfire, and there's these three strangers that come. And out of the clear blue sky, these strangers sit down, and Abraham kind of hosts them, and and the strangers just say, hey, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. Wow. You see, every one of us hear from God, every one of us in our daily lives, but there are times we need to be reminded over and over and over that God says what he means and means what he says. I wonder what would change if we lived as obedient resident aliens. I bet every one of us would spend more time with God so we wouldn't miss out. We would listen more carefully. We would respond quicker because life is short. I think the way that we use our time and our talents and our treasure would change. If we really knew that we only had 70 or 80 or 90 years down here and that eternity was so much broader and bigger, and we believe that, I bet we would live differently. Moses said in Psalm 90, the only Psalm we wrote, he said, Lord, teach me the brevity of life so that I may grow in wisdom. And then Abraham trusted God for his future. In verse 10, and so Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise, Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal, in, eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. You know, the one thing that Abraham made sure is that his sons understood the promise. I mean, Isaac, every time, you know, he would see Isaac, Isaac, you're a miracle. Isaac, this is so cool. Isaac, do you remember? I was 100 years old and your mom was 90. Yes, you are an unbelievable gift to each one of us. And you're just part of it. It's going to keep going. God is going to give us a land. We are going to have an opportunity to bless all the nations of the earth. It's kind of cool. The promise was multi-generational. And I think Abraham kept reminding But I think this too is that Abraham confidently looked forward to a permanent home with God. He knew that life was hard. He was actually quite wealthy. He wasn't easy to listen and obey or even to live in that culture at that time. But he knew, you know what, this is actually relatively short. Abraham lived to 175. And even at that time, he said he knew life was short. You know, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians chapter 3. And he says this. And this is Paul near the end of his life. There are a whole lot of churches that he's planted, a whole lot of people that he spent time with. Um, This is what he writes. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, since you've come to Christ, since you're part of God's family, since you have received Christ as your Savior because of your faith and because you have been transformed and because you are a new creation, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right side. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. You know, it's really hard. As I see a bunch of junior hires and senior hires over here to think about heaven. When you're 13 or 12 or 14, Wow, it doesn't seem that exciting. I mean, really? Big house, gold streets, angels singing. I don't know whatever visions you have of of future. But realistically, all of us sometimes fall in that category. Like, how many times can we praise God? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, our worship is amazing here. But do you realize we sang like 20 minutes today? Holy cats, like, could we just sing like 17 minutes sometimes? This really gets old. And then there's others going, 20 minutes, man, we're just getting warmed up. This is unbelievable. And so we all have these perspectives of what heaven or eternity might look like. But let me just say this to you and, and put this in perspective. You see, realistically, heaven or life with God forever and ever and ever does not sound that attractive to people that don't have a rich relationship with God. You see, what happens is that if we have an opportunity, even at a young age, and begin to spend time with our Lord every single day, and we end up doing that two years, and we end up doing that six years, and we end up doing that 12 years, and we end up doing that 40 years, and we end up doing that 50 years. And every day you hear his voice, and every day you walk and you listen to him, and every day you open up his word, and every day you learn more of who God is and how gracious he is and how wonderful and kind and loving and how he wants to give you abundant life now, and he wants to spend eternity with you forever. My guess is this, a person that's only spent a couple years with God, they don't have any idea what they're in for. But a person who has walked faithfully with our Savior for those years, no matter how long God keeps you here on this planet, the truth is this, is that each one of us have an opportunity to be able to start now what we get to cultivate and enjoy for all of eternity. You see, if you walk with God, heaven is much more than a relationship than about mansions. You know, God just flat out loved Abraham's faith. It was his faith that defined him, not his failures. God talks about Abraham's faith all the way throughout the scriptures. You know, the truth is heroes waver at times, but they do have faith. The longer one walks with God, the greater and more natural the faith and obedience 
happens. You see, God met Abraham during his weak times and graced him. You know, if I'm honest, I would say this, is that my heroes have really changed over the years. I think if I'm honest, you have your entertainment heroes, your book heroes, your fantasy heroes, and, you know, people that can fly and stop bullets and all those other kinds of things. And and we get entertained by that for a while. But a real hero to me are people who tell their stories when life is hard and they still trust God. You see, one of the things we're having this Tuesday is a missional community. And part of that missional community is is where we have people tell their stories of God's grace. They're God's stories of how, wow, they're trusting God in light of their circumstances or situations. That's why baptisms are so exciting. We hear about how people have come from death to life. And their stories of transformation is they trust God and they're living out abundant life on mission with God. You see, as I thought through our people here, I think we have a whole lot of heroes right here in this room. Or maybe they're not all in this room at this time. But I know of an older man who has an unbelievable career, but his wife is deteriorating. And so he has decided to listen to God, care for his wife in an unbelievable way, put all of his desires and his scenarios aside, and God is blessing him and keeping him. I have another man who's probably had more surgeries than you can even tell. And that man comes to me, and we talk, and we chat, and one of the things I keep asking is, how are you doing? He says, you know, I'm still trusting God today in spite of the pain. I've got another man that I just recently talked to. Just about every bone in his body aches every single day. There's some good days. There's some bad days. But the truth is this, is that there is an inner spirit that comes out and says, you know what, in spite of my condition right now, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to honor God. I've got young moms that I know about whose kids are unbelievable challenging right now. Some because they're so young. Some because they're so needy. And they look at me and they say, Rick, I am just so exhausted. I am just overwhelmed. I can hardly even make it. But I'm trusting my God to give me grace and power and perspective today. I see people going through their second time of cancer. And the medications don't seem to respond as well. 
And they're living alone, but not really because God's presence is overwhelming them. And they talk to their God, and they listen to their God. And they get up every day. I think of a mom who struggles at home. She hangs on to God's word every single day because both of her kids are grown up right now. None of them are walking with God. Husband doesn't know the Lord at all. She's the only one in her family that's listening to God right now, right now. And the verses, and the scriptures, and the praise songs, and the reminder that my God is in control. My God is here. You're sovereign, God. I can go through person after person. As I was preparing this message, I wrote down almost 30 people that I could spit off right now. And if I said their names, you probably would know them. Where life is really hard. And listening to God doesn't seem to make sense. And even at times saying, God, really? You want me to trust you now? I've lost my job. I've asked you for a job. How come I don't get a job? God, how can I trust you when the waves are so big? How can I listen to you? That does not make sense. A hero. A hero is somebody who listens to God, obeys God when logically or circumstantially just doesn't make sense. That's why God loved Abraham. Not that he was perfect as we heard. He needed so many reminders. But when God said something, Abraham did something unbelievable. said, yes, God. I believe you, God. Thank you for being patient with me, God. Thank you for being merciful for me, with me, God. I am so grateful. Abraham walked with God. And we look at his life, and I think each one of us can be encouraged. Want to be a hero? Want to be one of God's heroes or begin a relationship with God. Walk with him every day and trust your sovereign king. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are kind. I thank you that you are merciful. I thank you, dear God, that you understand how weak we are at times and you come around us. Father, you, you just want us to call you daddy. You just want us to trust you because honestly, God, you do know what's best. Thanks for Abraham. 
Thank you for giving us a glimpse of someone who trusted you with his heart. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.